the makeshift What's the Chai studio, we have 25-year-old New Yorker Ariana Nathani, who by day is a digital experience designer at a large healthcare company, and by night is the founder and the host of Drinks First. Welcome, Ariana. How you doing? Hi, I'm good. Thank you for having me. Not at all. So happy to have you here. So as always, I love to ask my guests, what's the chai? Basically, what's your story? We're here and curious to hear all about you. Yeah. So um, you said some of the stuff already, but I'm 25 years old. I am fully Indian. I mean, like that, I should put that out there Indian. considering we're on what the, we're on. What's the chai. Um, both my parents were from Mumbai and came um, to the States in the eighties. Um, and I was born and raised in New York city. So I'm a native New Yorker through and through, uh, grew up in Manhattan. So wow. yeah, it's been a very, like, I think that's a very unique thing. Not many people have that experience. And I'm like, super grateful to be one of those people growing up in New York city was amazing. And like, I would not trade it for anything in the world, but it has, New York has a chokehold over me. So currently I'm living in New York. I'm working in New York. Um, I host a podcast called drinks first and (laughs) it's to help New Yorkers kind of connect in a new way. It's a dating and New York City lifestyle podcast that I started about two and a half years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, on top of my full time job, my mom was like, "You need to get a hobby," and <laughs> I think she thought maybe I'd like start working out or something like that. And I was like, yeah. "No, I'm gonna like start a podcast about dating." And she was like, "Excuse me." <laughs> um, I love but- that. Like, excuse me. What do you mean about dating? You date? Yeah, truly. She was like, question mark, like, you never talked to me about dating in your life, Um, which is true for, you know, my, the other South Asian people out there might be able to relate to that, but she's like my biggest fan, um, which is super, super sweet. Uh, Mm -hmm. But yeah, I, I do digital experience design by day. And then I started this podcast when I graduated college uh, and came back to New York City and just realized that there was like a gap in the market for something mm-hmm. uh, in the podcast space and the way that we were dating for uh, New Yorkers and just for marginalized voices. And I thought, hey, like, I think I could do something better. So <laughs> absolutely. And I think what was really interesting that I didn't realize when I took a deep dive um, and I saw that you actually started the podcast in 2019. And for that era, right, before we went completely remote or people weren't everyone was on the apps and whatnot to have something like this where you don't really disclose anyone's names on the podcast you don't it's very like you know very basic information and I just I'm so curious how the concept of your podcast came to be right like I'm really curious like how did you maneuver that what made you think that this would be a better way and also what led you to create it I think when you and I talked one-on-one a little bit you said you know out of college it was that dating sort of gap between, you know, there was so many resources for millennials and the Gen Z's coming out of college. They were kind of navigating this space without having mainly a voice. And you wanted to, you don't want, want to be the forerunner. You were creating it essentially for yourself. I think I asked like five questions at the same time. So yeah. But whatever's coming up for you, just take it over. <laughs> got you. I got you. So yeah, I graduated college in 2019. I moved back to New York city. I went to school, um, at Carnegie Mellon in Pittsburgh. So very different environment uh, than being in New York. And I came back 
and realized, and my, my entire community is in New York. Like I grew up here. So all of my friends from home, uh, also came back to New York. It's really hard to go somewhere else after growing up here. Um, and then, you know, friends from college who had moved here and just extended network. Like so many people were in New York, family, friends, things like that. Mm-hmm. And I, at the time when I was like catching up with a lot of my friends, I felt like I was having the same conversation over and over and over again. And it was, why is dating so hard? Why is it so hard to meet someone? Why am I getting ghosted? You know, why, like, why the big question, like why? And it's yeah. how, um, and a lot of my friends, like it didn't matter their ethnicity. It didn't matter their age. It didn't matter their gender, their sexuality. Everybody was having problems. Yeah. And I'm looking at all my friends and I'm like, all of you are like stand up people. You are attractive and ambitious and smart. And why is it so hard for us to navigate relationships? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, if my group of friends is like that in New York, I can imagine many other groups of friends like are like that in New York as well. There yeah. are so many people in New York who are interesting and talented and ambitious and smart and creative and just all have all of these really great things going for them. But it's so hard to meet people, mm-hmm. even, even for people who just moved to New York and have no face. It's yeah. hard for people to make friends because mm-hmm. the city is very overwhelming and it feels like everybody has their shit figured out, um, yeah. which is not true at all. So after having these conversations and like I'm, I do digital experience design, which effectively means I do user human centered user research and user interface design all day. My kind of like user research side kicked in and I was like noticing this trend and noticing the issues that were happening. And I was like, okay, well, how can we provide a solution? Um, so I had had this conversation with a friend of mine at Tim Ho Wan, uh, and she had spent the entire time lamenting about her relationship and I was sitting there listening to her and on my way back uptown to my apartment at the time, I was like, oh, like I have this idea. Like, and I was listening to a lot of podcasts. I was listening to, we met at Acme with Lindsay Metzler, who's huge inspiration. She's an amazing person. I was listening to call her daddy, like as everyone was in 2019. And I was just like this, as much as I love these podcasts, Mm -hmm. I cannot fully relate to them. And they also don't seem very actionable. So actually, can you speak a little more on that? Like the lack of actionability? Actionability? Sure. That word? We'll roll with that. Well, you know, as a designer, I like to create solutions And I wasn't seeing any solutions being created. I was listening to a lot of rules. I was listening to a lot of people saying, this is my experience. And like, this is what you should do. This is what you shouldn't do. And that is totally valid. But I felt like if I was going to do something like make a podcast, I didn't want to be another 20 something speaking into a microphone, just like putting her opinions out into the ether. Like I wanted to provide something that could actually enact change and make things easier in people's Mm -hmm. lives. So I had the idea that, you know, what if people could meet off of the podcast, if I'm interviewing someone and I think they're interesting, like, you know, maybe someone else might find them interesting and maybe somebody else might be interested in meeting them. 
Mm-hmm. And I took it a step further and I said, well, what if these people were anonymous? Mm-hmm. Because so much of dating app fatigue is because it's gamified, because we are immediately swiping left and right in a two second period of time mm-hmm. where we make a snap judgment on someone pretty much based on how they look. Yeah. And it's like, oh, okay, wait, this person's five, seven swipe left. You know, mm-hmm. like we may, we put so many barriers on ourselves when we are on dating apps that if you had actually met that person in real life, mm-hmm. you might not say, oh, you know, you're five, seven. Like, I don't actually want to talk to you, you know? Yeah. Um, so I took it a step further and made my guests anonymous because yeah. one, like, I think with dating apps, we're super visually biased. Mm-hmm. And two, we also hold a lot of inherent biases. And I think as a person of color, and I'm sure a lot of people can relate, when people might like look at you, they might not say initially, oh, well, that's my type. A lot yeah. of people of color have a lot of trouble dating. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I wanted to create a platform that was also equitable to yeah. people of different races, of different sizes, of different genders and ethnicities and sexualities. So that's kind of where the idea came from. Um, that it's- is kind of amazing. <laughs> that's so well thought out, right? Because it's not, you weren't just going into thinking that I just want to talk about dating because everybody's struggling, but you don't talk about your experiences as much. As many of the episodes that I've heard, you're always kind of like, yeah. Like I remember um, the episode that I was like recently listening to was from like your previous season. And it was like, um, why dating apps lie? Uh, friend zoning and social media with like a really close friend of yours and you had like tangible things to say you were like yeah if someone's like watching your insta story it doesn't mean anything you know it's like it's more of an effort if they're not watching it you know that they're actively making that decision and it was kind of like I hear you navigating that space but at the same time you do make it so much about the guests and their voices and it's so interesting to watch you really focus on having this user experience right where it's like come in let me uh showcase your story let's get to know you and hopefully someone's going to be interested in that story and you present it that way in a very yeah storytelling kind of format which I find fabulous absolutely thank you I so I think one thing that I need to clarify is that I had this idea I had no idea what I was doing I had absolutely no clue I knew nothing about podcasting and within two weeks I found I was like let me find a way to do this with mm-hmm. absolutely no money involved, mm-hmm. just my time and effort. And yeah. let's see where it takes me. It was never an intention for it to become a business, for it to blow up the way that it has so far, or grow the way that it has. It was a hobby. Like, That's just like my mom said, I had a hobby. Um, well, can I comment on that? If this yeah. was if this was your hobby and this was kind of like, oh, I'm just going to go with the flow. I'm going to be so interested to see when you put your mind to something, what that looks like. I'm like, are we even ready if Ariana's about to put out something like completely intention-based for it to blow up? Like, I don't think any of us are ready for that. Well, I think now I have like, this is more than a hobby. It's like my second job. It's my side hustle. So I am moving with way more intention now than I was before. Mm -hmm. But I was, I just grabbed a friend Mm -hmm. um, who had come over to watch The Bachelor with me. And then we realized it wasn't, on that day and so we were like okay well we have two hours and I told her about this idea and I was like do you want to just record an episode with me like mm-hmm. let's just do it on my computer like yeah. no microphones no nothing like we'll just sit on my couch and we're, we'll record it I will edit it in GarageBand and I'll figure out how to put it out 
And that's exactly how it started. And the branding and all the design, like it's really, it's evolved since I started it, but I mean, I'm a designer. So I I was able to kind of do that with a little more ease. Mm -hmm. Um, The name came actually from one of my friends who is a genius. They have their own podcast called Mind the Gape and they helped me, um, they helped me come up with my name just mm-hmm. because I was like, I don't want to box myself in to mm-hmm. just dating or just New York City. Like I want something that is kind of all encompassing. And so that's how we came up with drinks first. Um, but yeah, that's how the, the podcast was born. And now it's, it's blossomed into something really amazing and with a really cool community. And I just see it growing every single day. Uh, and I could not be like more proud or overwhelmed that any of this stuff is happening, but it's great. I would like to hear a little bit about maybe your own personal experience with dating as well, right? Because it sounds like you and your friends like collectively were going through this and validating each other's experience. But I would like to hear a little bit maybe more about your story as being a South Asian woman, a uh, pure Indian. <laughs> well, so I think also you had pointed out something interesting before, which was, I, the podcast isn't about me. I I talk to other people and I want to highlight their stories and I want them to look like, I want them to look good on the podcast because I want people to be interested in them. So I can corroborate experiences, but I don't really talk about myself. Mm -hmm. And I think partially that was like subconsciously, uh, like a decision I made because I didn't want to share my own experiences uh, to the world. (laughs) I think initially because, and I think a lot of that comes from the way that I grew up and like the way I, I honestly had, I honestly (laughs) had the experience where I was like, I don't want my mom to hear about certain things. Like I don't want my family to hear about certain things. Mm-hmm. My, um, my entire family knows I do this podcast, my family in India, things like that. Like, it's hard to explain that, you know, I'm talking about sex and dating and all of these things oh, yeah. in a culture like New York. Mm-hmm. And the fact that like, I have family in India who listen to it. That was a very conscious decision of, for me to be like, I'm not going to talk too much about myself yeah. because I don't want to put anything out there that would make them uncomfortable or embarrassed or anything like that. So mm-hmm. that was like the original intentionality behind me not sharing too much about my life. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, the podcast isn't about me. And mm-hmm. I think that also helps me in my own dating experience because when I tell guys that I have a dating podcast, yeah oh like should I be careful like am I gonna be on the podcast and I was like don't flatter yourself also (laughs) (laughs) like it's not about me so don't worry like I'm not gonna talk about this experience between the two of us like on the podcast Mm -hmm. so (laughs) that's like that's a little bit about why I try not to include my Mm -hmm. like own personal life but you know I think now more than ever my and I for the longest time I was kind of hiding behind my brand because for for a few reasons I didn't I don't want to be an influencer (laughs) like I don't really have the desire to do that it's just Mm -hmm. very I have a lot of friends who are and I really like they are amazing people but I could never like set my self-worth 
on social media, I think it would drive me nuts. It's like such a hard job to have. You're constantly scrutinized. You're constantly thinking about content. Mm -hmm. And so like, I think for the longest time, I was just trying to hide behind the drinks first brand because I wanted the brand to be its own thing. I wanted it to take off on its own. Mm -hmm. And then as time went on, you know, I was talking to people who are more professional in this space and they were like, a big draw of this is you. It's you and it's your personality. It's your face. It's what you stand for. It's your experiences. And like, you need to be a little more out there. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think with TikTok, with people like really now associating me and my face with Mm -hmm. the podcast and with the events that I throw, like having to be like the, the, the poster child Mm -hmm. of that. It's just been very interesting. Um, with everything, like being, being more upfront about like, who is the voice behind this podcast. And it wasn't that I was ashamed um, about who I was. It was never that it was more that I just was trying to keep some sort of level of privacy between my personal life and my like online life. And, but it's, it's tough. It's tough because now it's so important for me to be uh, you know, the face of what I'm doing, because I think it, it leads me to opportunities like this, you know, people like you who reach out to me and say, Hey, like, it's really cool to see somebody who's like South Asian and in this space and like doing what you're doing, because a lot of people like, especially in the dating space don't look like me. Um, so I guess like with my own personal experiences, like I'm happy to answer any questions you might have about like my life and my relationships and the things that I've experienced. But for the longest time, I like really kept myself separate, like from everything that I was doing. And I think that's, that's kind of interesting as well, right? Like uh, initially how you were kind of even navigating these sort of areas, right? Because there is such a difference when you compare like your podcast and the way you talk most of the podcasts are like yeah blowjob sex yeah my dad hears me talking about anal and it's totally fine and I can understand that as being a South Asian woman as well who might have a conservative family back home where I need to really be like you know what can I say on these things but at the same time I mean there's a cultural respectful component of it but that doesn't mean if we do talk about these things, it means it's not respectful. It's just mindfulness overall. So I think that is really interesting. Um, specifically going to that one, t- I don't know if you know which TikTok video did I tell you when we met uh, one-on-one. It was one of those videos where it was like, you know, dating scene in New York City is a plus size South Asian woman. I don't want to bottleneck you into that moment, right? Being a plus size South Asian woman. And what does that mean? I think I'm also curious to hear about your family experience because it sounds like there's a lot of, influence there that kind of drives you how to function as well and I think it's important to understand how you are able to do both right um yeah I mean honestly when I had made that TikTok it I was kind of debating I was like I I also don't want to make these things a defining factor about myself and I also I didn't go into this space to be the representation for everyone and not to say that I am by any means but like that was never my intention Mm -hmm. I think when you show up in spaces as an other or a minority people start thinking and 
putting you in that box. Not that being a minority is a bad thing. I'm incredibly proud of my heritage and the things that, you know, the way that I grew up and my culture and the way I look. But it's like, I think when you start experiencing and creating the otherness in yourself, other people will kind of experience and treat you that way as well. And so when you approach situations in the way that is like, I'm unapologetic about talking about any of these things. Mm-hmm. Um, and these are my experiences and my experiences are normal. My experiences are other people's experiences. And we just talk about them not because, oh, because I am like South Asian or because I am like plus size. It's like, these are the experiences that I've had because they're my experiences. Yes. And I think that has been like a interesting way that I've approached the podcast by not trying to other it, but just trying to talk about it from like my point of view as Ariana, not as any of these other defining factors. Mm-hmm. And obviously all of those factors contribute to all of my experiences, mm-hmm. but I think it's made the podcast more relatable to a wider audience. Like yeah. the way that I can like pinpoint experiences that I've had or talk about certain things, other people of color, not just South Asian people be like I identify that other curvy women would be like I identify that gay men can identify with like experiences that I've had you know yeah there are a lot of things that kind of we all experience and when we try and like pull ourselves out and be like well and that's what I'm saying like when I made that TikTok I was a little hesitant to like point out these defining factors that differentiate me from everybody else Mm-hmm. because I didn't want to other myself. But then at the same time, like knowing how TikTok works, mm-hmm. I was like, I want to target these people because I think they would be interested in the things that I have to say. Mm-hmm. And from that TikTok alone, my like followership was, I could see just so many South Asian people start following me. And that was not an audience that I had before. Um, yeah. So yeah, I think that was like, that. It's it's funny that you found me from, that specific TikTok because I know exactly which one you're talking about. Um, And I was hesitant at first to post it, but now I'm like, okay, you know what? Like it's, it's fine because that's like who I am. Mm -hmm. And I want this to be able to reach people who are having similar experiences to me. And I think another experience, and I don't know how much you thought of this, or if this is some, uh, a point of conversation that you've ever had with yourself or others is that it's not just about, you know, the representation of a South Asian who's like plus size in the dating sphere. It's like you're doing something that's out of, is not as common, right? Right now we're seeing a surge of South Asian creators come and start building platforms, right? But you're still one of, I think, the first who are starting up where it's like, hey, when I hear you, like you're 25 years old, like I can really back when I was 25, not that long ago, but when I think about it, I was like, I wasn't in that sphere to be creative because I was, I had goals that were very tunnel vision, right? And for you to be in a space where it's like, oh, here, look, I'm not just going to the gym as my hobby. Here's a creative outlet, which is fun. And I get to connect with people and looking at your podcast specifically, that's a really strong feeling that came up for me when I was like watching a lot of your contact. I was like, this is so cool that someone can do this and someone can do this at that age. And 
Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of people ask me, you know, how did you get started? Like, how did you, did you fundraise for your podcast? Did you like, how did you choose what host? How did you do your branding? Mm -hmm. And I, this is not the answer people want to hear, but I'm like, I just did it. Yeah. I just did it. And I just jumped in and I was like, I'll figure it out as I go. Mm -hmm. And within two weeks of me having the idea, I had my first episodes on online Mm -hmm. and I had created my podcast, Instagram and whatever, Mm -hmm. like, And I just learned as I went, I was like, okay, well, now that, you know, like this is out in the universe, what else is related to this? Oh, I can put out my favorite recommendations for date spots because I'm so like, I love food. I love drinking. Like Mm -hmm. I have so many great, uh, like recommendations to give people. I'm like the kind of person, my friends will text me. They'll be like, Hey, I'm in the West village. Like, where should I get dinner tonight? And I'll be like, okay, here, like how many people, what vibe, like what budget? Like (laughs) I'm like my friend's personal concierge. So then I was like, okay, that's a value I can add. It's like, as things kept going, Mm -hmm. I like, and kept growing, I was like, okay, I will add this into my brand. I will continue Mm -hmm. to like, you know, highlight different things. I can pull out this. I started doing polls on my stories, which people love. Um, And I was pulling out like, statistics from my polls and it's just been like as I've gone I've like grown with it Mm -hmm. there's just and I don't think that's necessarily like what people want to hear when they're like how did you start things because people want like the they want like the formula on how you do things and it's like I literally had no formula I'm just doing it and figuring it out as I go Mm -hmm. um and when I see people wanting to start things of their own and I see them like overthinking it and and just getting in their head about it and like wanting it to be perfect before they put it out into the universe I'm like just do it like just put it out put it out and see what happens and like things can change you can put it out again nobody's gonna fault you for like growing with whatever you're creating Mm -hmm. so just do it just like put it out there it doesn't have to be perfect and you will like grow and figure out how to do it while doing it as long as you're committed to it yeah this would be a great time for Nike to sponsor us. Just do it. <laughs> Just do it. <laughs> but that's, that's fabulous. I appreciate that tidbit of advice. And you know, you sound also, listen, I'm like spewing a lot of compliments at, uh, at you and it's not in the intention of compliments. It's just my truth. Let me live it. So another thing is that you're very confident. And this, this brings me back to, I would like to know a little bit about your upbringing, right? Um, I think because I'm a therapist, a lot of my questions are very open-ended because I want I want you to tell me what you think of when I'm like, how did you grow up, right? Because there's a confidence in you. You don't have that perfectionalistic mindset that I encounter a lot in the South Asian community when it does come to putting out work, whether it comes to grades, whether it comes to appearance. So I don't know if you credit it to your upbringing, but I would love to hear about your confidence and I would love to hear about how you grew up a little bit and your relationship with your uh, family. Absolutely. there's so many things I can like say about the way that I grew up. So I, like I said, I was born and raised in New York city, like born at Mount Sinai on the Upper East side, grew up on the Upper East side and the Upper West side, had a very privileged upbringing, um, for anyone like South Asian white, like whatever, like I had a very privileged upbringing. My mom was a gemologist and then is now in real estate. My dad is in finance. Um, they, came, they met in Mumbai, they met in Bombay Mm -hmm. and they were 
they were, it was a love marriage. They were conflicting religions. My dad was Muslim at the time. My mom was Jane. Oh, so, yeah. that is a conflict. Wow. Yeah. Was, I need your parents on this podcast too. I need to hear their story. Yeah. They have a great story. Um, they, they like met in college and it was just like, it wasn't supposed to happen because you know, religion, religion. <laughs> and they, you know, they prevailed. They dated for like seven plus years. They did long distance when my dad came to the States to do mm-hmm. his master's. He did his MBA at Duke. So he moved, he got scholarship, um, through the Aga Khan foundation. So like through being, wow. cause we're like um, Aga Khani on my dad's mm-hmm. side. And my dad is now an atheist. So that's like its own thing. Um, <laughs> that's, that's a really interesting story. I'm like, so down. Yeah. Is your job available at any point for an interview in your mind? Just let me know. Shoot them their info at me. I'd love to have them on too. They are interesting people. Um, and, you know, they, he, he came to the States. He brought my mom after getting, you know, he, after getting the approval from her parents to get married, it was very hasty. Like my mom's parents didn't come to the wedding. Yeah. They got married. They didn't have some big Indian wedding. They got married with a pastor off of a phone book who like said my dad's name wrong so like who knows if they're even married um <laughs> apparently like showed up drunk they like had the wedding and my dad's like bosses a like house in North Carolina and the dinner was a potluck like no it way. was <laughs> not joking. an Indian wedding I didn't I cannot are you serious yeah That's- and I think wow. this is like painting my parents as like very like different and cool but like they're not <laughs> Like, I love them, but, like, they're not. They were, like, very much, like, strict tiger Indian parents with me growing up. Like, me and my older brother, who were very close as well. Um, My brother also lives in New York. Mm -hmm. He was, like, the golden child. He's, like, the sweetest man ever. He does everything right. Like, he's, you know, he's a really good kid. Um, I was definitely a bit more of, like, the troublemaker when I was growing up. My parents had very high expectations for us. They, you know, education is what brought my dad to this country. Mm-hmm. And so he really strongly believed in the power of education Yeah, and where it could take you. And I think that is like, especially on my dad's side of the family, like everyone on my dad's side of the family pursued higher education mm-hmm. um, and were like given scholarships and opportunities. And like, they're all very successful on yeah. like, and my, both my families, like they were not very wealthy growing up. Um, and so like my dad worked really hard and really like busted his ass in finance and like did really well for himself. And we, they moved to Manhattan, they had their kids. Um, and like off the bat, my parents like really pushed for good education. They sent my brother to private school from K through 12 in New York city, which is like super expensive and very privileged environment like and I went to a specialized public school and then transferred to an all-girls private school when I was in 10th grade so I had a different experience than my brother in terms of like me being in the public school system in New York City Mm -hmm. which I would not trade for anything like I got a lot of perspective growing up being in both a public school environment and being in a private school environment seeing both privilege and just like the way that most New York City lives is Mm -hmm. not with the immense amounts of privilege uh that you know it also exists here um so 
that's kind of like, they really pushed us hard. They wanted us to do all of the extracurricular activities. So, you know, I did art. I played tennis. I sang, I swam, I danced, I did everything. Um, because my parents were pushy and they wanted their kids to do the best they could. Mm -hmm. It broke me down a lot. Yeah, absolutely. I was not like some star the entire time I was in school. Like I, you know, I, I was a very creative, like artistic kid. Um, and my parents could see that I was talented in art. And so they like, let me continue to do it. And then when it came to college and I was like, I want to go to art school, they were like, uh, (laughs) they were like, we had moved to this country for our kid to go to art school and then like make $40,000 a year. Like, that's not, that's not like what they wanted. And so what they had told me was you can go to art school if you go to art school in a larger university. Mm -hmm. So you can study something else along with art. Um, So they wanted you to like dual major. So like having a backup sort of situation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And they always pushed me academically. There like there were times that I I wasn't like a stellar student the entire time I was in high school. Um, When I transferred schools, I struggled a lot with depression and I started like push I asked my parents I like when I was in 10th grade I was like I want to go to therapy they said no because they didn't believe in therapy and they were like you're you're just being lazy you're not pushing yourself hard enough like and I'm sure this is a narrative that a lot of South Asian people can relate to yeah because like mental health is not a thing that they grew up with in India like mental health wellness it's just Mm -hmm. not a thing Mm-hmm. And it took me reaching a breaking point in high school where I like one day just came home and like broke down crying. I don't even remember what happened mm-hmm. um, for my mom to see that she was like, okay, like, let's try it. Like, let's try therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like, I was put into therapy when I was in like 10th or 11th grade. I don't really remember at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, you know, it was helpful Uh, I like was seeing a white therapist and she like, didn't know how to handle me and my family trauma. And so she like, like referred us to an Asian therapist, um, which was definitely more helpful. Um, but like my upbringing with my parents was like, it wasn't all roses. Like they were not like super chill and super cool all the time. I was also like a problem child sometimes. Like I started drinking well, when you're in public school, like in New York city, it's like fucking euphoria, you know, like literally. And then when you're no, I'm just kidding. I'm and then like, like, and then when you're in private school, it's like gossip girl. Like it actually is like gossip girl was wow. based off of the schools that, uh, you know, my brother and I went to. So yeah. they're like <laughs> the things that you experience as a kid in New York city, like, and I always was very outgoing, yeah. very like outspoken, like, And, you know, I, when I was like, when I was 14, I tried alcohol, I tried weed. Like Mm -hmm. these were things that like, you know, South Asian parents would never want their kids to be doing at that age. Um, I would sneak out, I would go to parties. I was like there, I started clubbing when I was, Mm -hmm. you know, 17, 18 years old, I was going to like one Oak and up and down and things in like New York city, (laughs) which like my parents, like with the fake ID, like my mom found my fake ID when I was 14, made me give it to her. Um, but she didn't know that I had a second copy of it. (laughs) 
Um, and like, you know, I kept getting more of them throughout the years. Yeah. And <laughs> it was actually funny and a, like really a full circle moment. Like when I was about to, it was like right before I turned 21, my mom knew I was going out with a fake ID and I was at Marquee, which is a club in New York city. And my ID mm-hmm. got taken away. And it was the last ID that I had. It was like the last copy. And I was pissed because I was about to, it was like, I was 20. It was right before my junior year of college. It was in the summer. Mm-hmm. And I, um, I'm like so mad because I had this plan to like go out with my friends. Now I couldn't go and my ID was gone and my summer was ruined because I couldn't go out to all the places I wanted to go out. And I come home and I'm in like, I'm just pissed off. I'm like yeah. so mad. And I was about to go to London for my study abroad, which then it wouldn't matter like that. I was 20. I could drink when I was in London and I was going to turn 21 when I was there. So it was essentially just that summer. And I come home and I'm like so mad. And my mom's like, what's up? And I told her because she knew at that point I was in college. She really like once I went to college, she chilled out a bit more. Yeah. And and she was like, wait. And she pulls out the one copy of the ID I had given her when I was 14 and (laughs) hands it back to to me. She was like, you can use this. That is amazing. That is amazing. (laughs) It said I was like, you know, it said I was like 27 on it. Like (laughs) I was like 20. (laughs) Um, But it was like the thought that counts. And I think if there's anything that like, that story shows is that like my relationship with my parents really blossomed. Like after, after I, I think really, and I'm coming back to this whole thing of education, Mm -hmm. it was so big on them because college was so important to them. Yeah. It was so important that me and my brother like went to good schools that my parents could be like, yeah, like my kid went to this good school and they'll never admit that like, that's why they you know, they wanted some of the bragging rights. Like every Indian parent wants their kid to go to Harvard. Right. Mm -hmm. But, you know, unfortunately, like that was not me. I didn't get into Harvard, but I did get into Carnegie Mellon. And that was, it's like a phenomenal school. My brother ended up going to Emory and, you know, my parents were happy about it. Like, Mm -hmm. and they were content. And I think once they saw us both doing really well in college and even though I knew at a point that my dad was like, you know, a little bummed that we didn't go to Ivy league schools. Mm -hmm. Um, the schools that we ended up at like served us really well. Um, and the skills that I got in college and have positioned me really well for my career and the things that I've done since graduating. So I, I wouldn't have given up that experience for anything, but I think once we got into college, my parents just eased up like totally, They yeah. like took a big collective sigh of relief because they were like, okay, this is what we've been working for. Mm-hmm. And like, this is what we wanted was our kid to go to a good school yeah. um, because that will gar- help guarantee success for them moving forward mm-hmm. um, because that's all they want, right? Like at the end of the day, essentially, your parents, like as hard as they are on you, they do it because they love you and because they want you to succeed. Mm-hmm. That's something that took me a very long time to figure out with my like relationship with my parents mm-hmm. and that, you know, I was a bit of like a, a crazy kid. Um, and just, you know, all of those things I had, you know, going to therapy was a battle with them, fighting with them all the time. I was always arguing with them. Like, 
honestly, like a lot of the reason I went to therapy was because of my relationship with my parents. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure a lot of South Asian people will relate to that narrative. Um, so that's like a lot of how I grew up. Um, I'm, my parents are very social people though. Mm -hmm. Like they're very like Bombay, like have all of their friends or sometimes out later than I am at night. Like very, very like social people. Um, and they're also very strong headed and they're very ambitious and they love working hard. And I think those are things that they passed down to me. Like once I was a bit more like comfortable in myself and the things that I was doing, like, I'm also a very social person. I'm also very strong headed. And like, you know, as much as I would hate to admit it, I'm a lot like my mom, Mm -hmm. (laughs) even though we argue literally all the time. Um, the soundbite to your mom email it. I know she, she's going to hold that over my head forever. Um, but like, yeah, that's like a lot of my relationship with my parents has shaped like who I am. I think anybody can say that. Um, I think I am really curious about like a few things. Like, first of all, it's, you should write a pilot. I would watch your show. (laughs) (laughs) I'm hands down hybrid between euphoria and gossip girl. I'm here for it. But I think I'm really curious, right? Like what, this breaking point that you had when you knew you needed help and then this kind of time that's lapsed and when you did feel better, what do you feel like contributed to a lot of this? The thing is that kids will go through stages, right? There's just things that we go through because we don't have the vocabulary at times. We don't have the exact help that we need. And it sounds like this transition from public school to the private school, that shift and that transition kind of had an effect on you. But then it also sounds like you know, over time, whether you worked on yourself, you've become a lot more confident, a lot more stable. How would you credit that just to, you know, the fact that there's been a lot of time? Would you contribute that to therapy? Or have you found things that have helped you along the way to get to where you are, which is being in a very different mental state than you were back then, right? Yeah, so I think exactly nail in the head was like when I transitioned from public school to private school was kind of where I experienced that mental break Mm -hmm. I was somebody who never had issue making friends I was always very friendly very outgoing like when I was in public school and all of my after school activities camp like I never had issues making friends yeah and then I was dropped into this like all girls private school environment where um, it, you know, was very privileged, though I did grow up with like a lot of the same privileges that they did as well. Um, there was still an otherness to me. I was I, you know, I had transferred in in a weird year. Mm-hmm. I was not white. Like majority of my class was white. There were three Indian kids, not even the other two. One was uh, I think maybe there were three Desi kids. One was half. One was Bangladeshi, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there was me mm-hmm. and in my in my grade of 60 girls. And, you know, there like a lot of the kids who were there who were people of color were kids on scholarship. Mm -hmm. And I was not one of those kids. I wasn't a kid on scholarship, but I also was a person of color. And I found a really hard time, like making friends and finding where I fit in because I I had always been very social, very outgoing. And the people who were like that at my school were very like popular you know, skinny white girls. And I was not really accepted into that group. Mm -hmm. easily. And so I, 
And, you know, I came from a very different background as some of the other kids of color there. So it was hard for me to fully relate to them as well. Um, So I, I was struggling a lot because I felt like I didn't have friends Mm -hmm. and it was the first time in my life that I hadn't experienced that when I was like 15 or 16. And because of that, I was so concerned with like making friends and fitting in that I, you know, my grades slipped the things that I was like, kind of, you know, I had a hard time focusing on school. Mm -hmm. I was kind of just like acting out in ways that I wasn't like really being myself because I really wanted to fit in. Yeah. And I don't, I don't remember. I really don't remember the exact moment that like I broke Mm -hmm. and I had mentioned therapy to my mom and she said no. Mm -hmm. And so I started seeing the therapist at school without her knowing. And then, uh, then I had like this break and I told my mom and, uh, my mom saw me really suffering. And then she was like, okay, like, let's try it. Not to say therapy fixed all my problems. It didn't. Um, it did help a lot, like just help me realize that I was like doing things that I shouldn't be doing. I was engaging in like some self-destructive behavior. And like, I was trying really hard and I wasn't doing as well in school, which was going to affect me, like going to college, like all of the things that I even transferred for in the first place. Um, and like, it wasn't, honestly, I'd never felt comfortable in that space until after I graduated. (laughs) And I think, I just think I had a very different perspective than also a lot of the girls. Cause I had come from a co-ed public school space and it yeah. was just like a harder thing to relate to. Um, and I think once a lot of those girls had been in that environment their entire life. And so once people went to college mm-hmm. and started experiencing like kind of a completely different life and way to live, a lot of people chilled out a lot. And like, I, <laughs> I like, became more comfortable with the people I went to high school with. I think I would say after we graduated high school, um, it wasn't easy for me um, during those like last three years of school. Mm-hmm. And what changed was like when I went to college. Yeah. And the first day I got to college, I made very good friends. And within the first month of being in college, I rushed Greek life, which I I think a lot of people like wouldn't expect me to be in a sorority. Mm -hmm. And I ended up being in like the quote unquote top sorority in, on my, in my school. You want to rep it? And it's Delta Gamma. I was a DG. (laughs) Um, And I had a really positive experience. Um, You know, there were issues in Greek life, but generally I think those are so specific to school and Carnegie Mellon's a diverse place. So like my sorority experience was different than like somebody who probably went to Cornell or Alabama. Right. Um, but it was affirming to me. Yeah. Like I could be in a new space mm-hmm. and I could make friends and find a place that I was really comfortable mm-hmm. and be less like outgoing social person that I always had been. Mm-hmm. And it took me going back to college and being in that new environment to realize like, okay, it wasn't me. Like I wasn't the issue. Yeah. <laughs> it was the circumstance that I was in. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's kind of when things got better for me. It was like immediately once I went to college, mm-hmm. I became a much happier person. Um, and a much like I moved with a lot of confidence uh, mm-hmm. through college and became very sure of myself. Cause I, 
it, I felt validated again in the, the person that I was. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like when I graduated school, I graduated with like a really great job and I was moving back to the city that I love and that I knew really well. And I just felt comfortable again. Yeah. So that's like a bit about the whole mental health journey. That I I went on. Beautiful. And please, I appreciate it so much that you even disclose that. And we hear it. What's the shy? Do not take it for granted that you opened up in that vulnerability. We genuinely do appreciate it. And it does speak volumes, you know, when you put it like that, because it's, it's multifaceted. There's so many dimensions to your experience. It's not like, Hey, I just switched schools. Like, you know, there was like this pressure to succeed, this wanting to be able to also pursue art and be stable and have my parents approval. It's about getting the help that I needed. It's about friendship and coming into a community and not having to, again, right. Be bottlenecked into something so specific and your college experience kind of liberated you again, kind of bringing you back to middle school where you're like, I can be friends with everyone. I can have great experiences and it's environmentally based at time. I think, you know, hearing you talk about this change, it does feel empowering. You know, that there are ways when you find your people, when you're, when you change your environment, if it doesn't suit you, you can make your life worthwhile and make certain things work. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Talk about parent trauma. Let's go to dates. Second, <laughs> secondary trauma. <laughs> sure. I mean, I honestly think some of it feeds into it because it's really? like, yeah, uh, I didn't date when I was in co-ed school, really, um, because, like, we, we I left after ninth grade. Like, it just, I didn't really, I don't know. There were, there were kids, obviously, in my school who were having sex in middle school because, like, mm-hmm. public school in New York City. Um, but, like, I didn't have my first kiss until I was... 15 I think um which I thought at the time was late because of my environment but in general I think it's like a pretty normal time to have your first kiss um it was with some random person in a warehouse party in Brooklyn that I snuck out to Mm -hmm. um and my mom found out because she read my Facebook messages and got so mad at me for Mm -hmm. lying to her and for sneaking out and for going to this party and for kissing this person. I had no idea who they were. Mm-hmm. Um, and that like created tons of trust issues, like with my family and my parents, yeah. um, which still to this day kind of persist. I'm very private about my dating life. I don't tell them anything. Yeah. My mom says she learns more about my dating life through my podcast, where I don't even talk about myself than yeah. for me actually telling her. Um, and a lot of the reason why I don't tell her is because I think it's just stems from when I was a kid Mm -hmm. and feel like there's still some trust that needs to be regained. And I feel like if I tell her something, she'll just take it and run with it. Um, so I trust or is it judgment? It's both, I guess. I mean, the, the, she judged me when she saw that I had broken her trust and then she judged me for it. So there were there, it's both. Um, you know, she's become way more easygoing than when I was in high school Mm -hmm. and she asks me more now. She wants to know. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, I am very private and I'm very protected in that. Like I won't tell, I don't, I also just don't think it's not, it's not worth telling my parents anything unless something's really serious. Yeah. 
like, I don't want to bring like a new character into my life mm-hmm. and tell my parents about them if it's not actually going to like be something serious. Yeah. So like, <laughs> do you feel like that's just because of the investment that they're going to have in the relationship? Because other than that, it's kind of like, if I keep this update, I don't get asked questions. I don't have to update them. I can just chill with whoever I'm dating versus if it's serious and it's like bringing someone in, it's their investment too. Yeah. I think it's a bit of both. Um, I also think that New York city, like dating is tough and it's transient and it's like very easy to cycle through a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to bring like a new person every single time I'm dating them. Like mm-hmm. what, if I'm dating somebody for a while and like maybe I'm getting to the point where like, I want them to meet my parents especially because they're in New York and they're like a train, they're like a subway right away. Um, You know, like that's the time I would talk to my parents about somebody I'm dating. And I think for them too, it's like, just, they don't need to waste the time on like some person I'm randomly seeing. Like Mm -hmm. a lot of, like I have white friends who tell their parents everything about their dating lives, like Mm -hmm. down to the the one night stand they had the night before. Like I could never do that. That's Mm -hmm. just not my comfort level. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I mean, like I had my first kiss and then like I moved to an all girls school and then dating was even harder because we were just like all girls, all girls <laughs> um, in an all girls school, right? Yeah. So, I mean, it just wasn't like that conducive. There were other all boys schools. And, you know, at the time, that's when dating apps had come out when we were 16, about like 10 years ago. And all of us got on Tinder. And when you're under 18 and you're on Tinder, uh, you only see people who are under 18. Mm -hmm. So we started seeing other people. We just like went to other schools in the city. Well, I didn't know that Tinder lets you sign up if you're under 18. And there's like a whole section for under 18 dating. I have no idea if it's still the case. But 10 years ago, if you signed up and you were under 18, you would be able to set your age range from like, 14 to 18 or something like that. Like, wow. so we would be able to see every other kid who was on Tinder in high school in New York city and everybody in New York city knows each other. Like it's very interconnected. So yeah. it didn't like, nobody was actually using dating apps, <laughs> like, yeah. like how we use them now. It was more just like, Oh my God, I like matched with this guy. He must think I'm cute. Like whatever. Yeah. Um, but what the thing about being in an all girls private school in New York City and the fact that it was majority white and yeah. that the people who were popular and the people who were desired were skinny white women. And I have conversations like this with my friends from high school who, you know, were also people of color. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was just no, no, like you never felt desired. Yeah. You never felt wanted. Mm-hmm. And like boys would barely ever pay attention to you. And if they did, like, they would want to keep it a secret. And that was like my experience. And that was also the experience of some of my other friends. Mm -hmm. And we would talk about it later. And we were like, oh my God, like, we just didn't even want to tell each other that we were having these experiences at the time because these men were like clearly impacted by the way, by the visuals of everything. And boy like so in private school there's two all boys schools and there's like eight all girls schools yeah. so, <laughs> like in the city so there's like very few men mm-hmm. um and when we would go to part and obviously there's some co-ed schools as well 
Um, but they were more insular. So like when we would go to parties and stuff, and if I ever like hooked up with somebody, um, like made out with them or something like there were times that guys would be like, I'm going to keep it a secret. Like, just don't tell anyone about it. Like, don't tell anyone like, yeah. And that obviously will affect like a a teenage girl. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That is so invalidating. And, and it was their own insecurities because they didn't want to be seen with, somebody necessarily who wasn't like, who looked different from what they were supposed to be desiring. Right. Yeah. And then like now it's really funny. Like now a lot of us are back in New York city Mm -hmm. and I will like match with guys from high school who literally would bully me. I'm like, like it's so full circle. Um, and it's happened for my friends too. Like guys Mm -hmm. who would never pay attention to us in high school now we're, are like sliding in our DMs. Is it because <laughs> they've grown up or do you feel like it's more acceptable to be like, you know, authentically ourselves, right? Like people don't identify, be- like the beauty standards are starting to change as being whatever you find beautiful. I mean, we're in the very baseline stages of that. Yeah. Sure, but still, do you feel like that's the change that you're experiencing right now? I think it's a mix of both. I think it's like a lot of these boys have matured and grown up and, you know, realize that it, it is okay to like somebody different than what they were told they were supposed to like growing up. Yeah. And I think just recently, as you just said, very baseline stages, it's now like people of color and different like sized people are being more like are found more attractive in like the media with modeling and TV and like all of these things, we're seeing it become more normal. Um, so it's, and to a certain effect, and I think for Gen Z, it's like, cool, you know, like it's maybe cool to be in like an interracial relationship or something like that. Um, so it's, I definitely think there's just a shift in our culture happening. That's like, Absolutely. Yeah. I was just going to say Gen Z is the most cutthroat generation I've ever met. And I'm just so here for it. I love it so much. Um, Cause I, I guess I would be on the ender cusp of the millennials, but wouldn't actually, that is one of the questions I had for you, like the Gen Z dating experience versus the millennial experience. If you had any thoughts on that. In terms of dating, like, I think, I think it's interesting because I'm not like fully in tune with how Gen Z is dating right now. I'm sure I think I know Snapchat is back. So like, yeah, yeah. Like Gen Z is like using, yeah. Gen Z is using Snapchat. What I think is up with that. And what I kind of like is Uh that they're trending away from like very structured online presences. Like they want things that are more authentic. So I think Gen Z likes Snapchat because it's more authentic. You can't like, you can't face tune the photo and then like, you know, post it on Instagram. Like it's, it's just a real time reaction. Like they can send a photo of half of their face and be like, Hey, what's up, you know, and have a conversation with someone. So I think that they like that more like casual, authentic Mm -hmm. relationship building. And I also think Gen Z is way more open-minded with sexuality like way more open-minded it is totally like it's like it's cool now for somebody to be like non-binary and queer and like that's amazing the fact that we're like not pushing people into being like 
into men, into women, like into one gender, because there isn't just two genders. You know what I'm saying? Like, and they're way more accepting of all of those things. Um, Millennials are obviously a bit more like old fashioned in the way I still think even like they don't want to necessarily meet their person on a dating app, but everybody is on a dating app. You know, that idea of like, I want to meet somebody in person, Mm -hmm. like still really persists in like the millennial diaspora of like thought. Mm -hmm. Um, And even I think most people still are like not desiring to meet people off of dating apps, like their person. Everybody wants that kind of like organic real life connection. But the actual like situation we're in is majority of people now are dating online and that's how they're meeting. And our world is trending to more and more digital places. And this is me talking as somebody who's in like the tech space, like Mm -hmm. the metaverse and crypto and like fine NFTs, all of those things, but it's just a web three. It's a sign that we are going to become increasingly digital. Mm -hmm. So figuring out like how to merge that like in person with that while also optimizing digital in the right way is going to be like how we I think how we're going to move forward in dating which is why I like create this partially why I created the podcast I think people were having dating app fatigue and they were tired of everything being behind a screen Mm -hmm. and just like that led to the events and that's why I think the events have been so um popular because people want to meet in real life yeah I hear you on that and I I love how you phrase that right like the dating app fatigue is so real and I think one of the questions I even had for you is that why is it right like in cities especially like New York like even bringing it out of just you know being a person of color right now if we generalize it a little bit more New York City LA San Francisco London right the some really major cities everyone's struggling to date everyone is and like you said earlier on at the beginning uh of um our conversation it's like these people are successful they're attractive they've invested in making themselves interesting they're cool right um why is it that they're still struggling they're on the apps and they're getting fatigued and i think it's just this disappointment that the masses has right now in the dating scene what are your thoughts on that yeah, there's a ton of struggle. I mean, I'm single and I'm struggling. And like, <laughs> but like that's also why I say to people, like, I'm not a dating expert. I don't believe in dating experts just because like, if you're a dating expert, you're, you're probably dating. not dating anymore. Oh. And if you're not dating, you're out of touch with what's happening with people dating. Unless all the end goal is not to be in a relationship, which is like a, a whole nother thing. Um mm-hmm. That's really smart. That's a really clever way of putting it, right? If you were a dating expert, you would be dating. And if you're not dating, then how can you be an expert? Because you're disconnected from the dating scene. You know, I think a lot of people are struggling with like, and the the conversations that I have with so many people about their dating, Mm -hmm. a lot of it is around commitment and around communication. And I think... Of commitment or... I, I... I think a lot of people are afraid to put themselves in a position where they say that they want commitment because they are feared, they feared to get rejected and nobody likes to get rejected. Um, 
And so like, that's why I think communication is so important because it's like, if you're in a casual relationship, talk about it and like, make it clear that that's what that is, as opposed to you go on like six dates with someone and you're still not really sure what it is. You're not Mm -hmm. really sure where that, that person's head's at and you start developing strong feelings for them. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden they're like, you know, I can't, I don't have the, the wherewithal to do this. And it's like, and I, you know, I think people have experiences like that and they get so tired and they get so beaten down. They're just like, what's even the point? Like, or what's wrong with me, right? Like what's wrong with me? Which is a, a literally a thought that every single person has all the time is like, what's wrong with me? And that's, that's something like even going back to what I was talking about in terms of like the way I was treated in high school. Mm-hmm. And it just, it was like, what's wrong with me? Right. Like, why am I not being desired? Like, I think I'm good looking. Like, I think I have a lot to offer. Like, why don't other people see that? And, yeah. and why am I not being treated that way? Mm-hmm. And even into college, like it started getting a little bit different for me. Like I was getting more attention from guys Mm -hmm. Um, you know, guys who thought that, yeah, I was like attractive, but at the same time I was like allowing myself to be treated worse than I should have been treated because I was kind of conditioned from high school to like, I was somebody's secret before, you know, as opposed to now it's a little more open, but it's still, I'm like not being treated the way that I should have been treated. And it wasn't until I had the experience of being in like a loving and communicative and like open relation, like not an open relationship, yeah. but open in the sense that like, you know, we, it, well, you were out yeah. together. It wasn't a hidden secret. That's how. Yeah, exactly. That I realized like, and this person would like do things for me and make me feel special and like really like care for me mm-hmm. the way that I cared for them and was like, truly my partner and things that I was doing my my very first relationship I was in which was like when I was 20 um and we met in London when I was studying abroad and that was the first person I told my parents I was dating Mm -hmm. I like called my mom over FaceTime I was in the airport going to Dublin and I had kind of you know things with this guy had gotten more serious and we had decided you know okay we're gonna be in a relationship um I called my mom and I was like, we had this whole conversation. I was like, yeah, I'm heading to Dublin. I'm seeing my friend. Um, and I knew I had to tell her mm-hmm. because like, I could have kept it a secret because he was in London and I was in London. My mom would have had no idea, yeah. but I, you know, it was somebody who was important to me. And I knew that I actually like, I wanted to travel with him. Um, mm-hmm. And I would have had to explain that somehow to my mom. So I was like, okay, I need to tell her. Um, and we're like at the very end of our conversation before she said bye, I was like, by the way, I'm dating someone. (laughs) And she started crying in tears, tears of joy. Oh, oh, stop. No, literally. I was so embarrassed. I was like, mom, (laughs) what are you doing? I was like, can you stop? And she was like, I just didn't think that like this would happen. And I was like, Jesus. (laughs) <laughs> what is what does that even mean then right she was surprised because I mean I don't yeah. tell her anything about my dating life so like out of nowhere I'm I'm dating someone you yeah. know 
And I had never disclosed that I was even like doing any of those things to her until I was like, I have a boyfriend. And that Um, has been such a reparative experience for you. I wonder, I don't know this, right? Because from being 15 to kind of that judgment and shame for that one kiss at that warehouse party in Brooklyn. And here you are five years later where you're kind of like, hey, mom, I'm in a relationship. And she's like crying out of like joy. I mean, I was embarrassed in the moment, but like, I appreciated the support. And, you know, she asked me a little bit about him and like, you know, I told her, I was like, I'm not ready to tell my dad. And she was like, why? And I was like, I just, I don't know. I'm not ready. And she was like, I think you should tell him. And I was like, can you just tell him? Like, I don't want to tell him. And she was like, okay. (laughs) Um, And then like two minutes later, after I hung up the phone, I was like, "Ah, that's stupid. I should just tell my dad. And mm-hmm. so I called my dad and he was like, I already know. <laughs> I already told him wow. in the two minutes. <laughs> that is quick. Yeah. But they were very supportive of the relationship. It was, it was a really, like, it was a good relationship to have had. I, as myself, can be loved. Yeah. And it wasn't until I had that experience that I knew, you know, that it could happen again. And I see with a lot of my friends who haven't had that experience or a lot of the people I've talked to who haven't had that experience that they just don't think it's possible for them. Mm -hmm. And it's very hard for them to put themselves out there in a way that like will is authentic and will like not end up in them getting hurt. Mm -hmm. I think that leads into one of the other questions I had for you. So I'm actually having a two-part question. There's a fear of rejection in the South Asian world, but it's also our understanding of relationships, right? I think it's so wholesome to hear that you had that really, really healthy uh, relationship experience that taught you, this is how I should be treated versus, you know, you have this, these abusive, manipulative, gaslighty relationships through Bollywood and in American media as well, Westernized media. And then these books, that are awesome but like kind of there's an element of like back and forth you know like oh my god like I don't like him he sucks and he doesn't like me and we hate each other and we're enemies but oh then we have that moment and like now we're chill but now we love each other it's so emotionally volatile and that volatility I've seen is to be confused for passion and those butterflies which are actually anxiety and giving you warning signals, they're like misconstrued and confused. So kind of two parts. How do you deal with rejection and fear of dating uh, in your late twenties as a South Asian? And then the second part is media distortion. There's a lot of like, there's a lot of abuse that happens in the South Asian community, especially within families. There's a lot of emotional and physical abuse that is normalized. Yeah. And like, I mean, you know, you grow up and it's like normal for parents to hit their kids like it's because it's part of their culture and that's like how they were raised and or or just like emotionally abusive things that you would never realize were emotionally abusive Mm -hmm. because you never had the words to describe it and I think like when you go when you're older and you start realizing that of that cultural abuse that happens and is normalized and so when we approach relationships as adults, you know, we might push things to the side and be like, you know what, that's normal. Mm -hmm. It's okay to feel this way, like not feel great, (laughs) but 
that's like not necessarily how it should be because I think we're so used to internalizing pain. And so I think that a lot of people, specific Mm -hmm. South Asian people, that it's like we normalize these behaviors of things that we think are okay, but they're actually not. Um, Absolutely. And sure, I think like media has uh, a hand in that. I think media has a hand in like creating the idea of what attraction should be. Uh, like just in a complete different sense it's like okay in in the early 2000s it was like skinny white girls and now like the narrative is shifting a little bit Mm -hmm. um and people are understanding that oh it's you know it's okay to be attracted to somebody who's trans because like I see that happening on Gossip Girl like it's normal or I see it on Euphoria or I see it on whatever like these stories are being highlighted and people are understanding like obviously media representation is important and it like what we see in our pop culture diaspora is important Mm -hmm. because it affects us as adults it also affects people growing up who are consuming that content um I don't know if I answered your question I mean you kind of did in some ways I think it is like you said you kind of just validated what I said which is like it's not a mass it's just not a south asian thing i think it's masses thing right and media contributes to how we've seen things in the past and it's going to keep contributing to what we see in the future but i think the difference is we're starting to change the definition like the people are frustrated and they're starting to drive the narrative that's bringing more people of color into television more representation and i think the first part of that question was basically you know rejection and fear of rejection and how if you how have you dealt with it in the past and if you have any advice to offer, you know, listeners in terms of when they're dating, what they could do in order to approach it? Yeah. I mean, look, everybody gets rejected. Mm-hmm. I've been rejected. I've The hottest people I know have been rejected. Like everybody gets rejected. It's part of life. And yeah. it's funny because I had a friend text me today and she was like, I'm ready to come on the podcast. I like got rejected by this guy. And the way she was describing her relationship with him to me was like, you know, I knew it wasn't going to last. It was kind of like a casual thing. And I was like, well, you're just upset because you weren't the one to end it. Um, Like he was the one to end it. So it's like you, but you already knew it wasn't going to be a serious relationship. Mm -hmm. So the, the reality of the situation is that, yeah, maybe it's rejection, but it's also redirection. And it's like, I like that. Did you come up with myself? <laughs> I like don't really know. Sometimes okay. I just say things and I'm like, did someone else say that? Probably. But <laughs> <laughs> until someone tells me otherwise. <laughs> but like, I truly think that if you don't think the situation is right for you, mm-hmm. then yeah, rejection sucks, especially if you're not the one rejecting the person mm-hmm. because it's like you weren't mentally ready for that to happen. Mm-hmm. And that sucks. But mm-hmm. like things will get better. They always do. And it's a redirection. And what I say to a lot of people also is like, especially when it comes to people they meet off of dating apps Mm -hmm. and they like get into these kind of like relationships with them and then they really like them and then it doesn't work out. I'm kind of just like, you didn't know this person before we came into this situation. Mm -hmm. And as quickly as this person entered your life, they can also leave your life in the same way that as quickly as they entered your life, someone else can also enter your life that quickly you never know like this person didn't exist to you six months ago you know and your life was not any different or worse because of it 
So if you come out of a situation, like take every relationship you have with someone as a growing experience. Mm -hmm. And I think dating is fun. Even if you're going on dates with people, you might not necessarily think you like is going to be end game. I think you learn a lot about yourself when you go on dates. You learn about what you like. You learn about what you're attracted to. You learn about, you know, what you might be looking for in the future. You might also learn something different, like a new band or a new place to go. Like there's a lot of merits to putting yourself out there and just meeting people. And if we take the pressure off a little bit of like going on first dates and whatever, and just think like, hey, this is an opportunity for me to meet someone and I'm trying to like them as much as they're trying to like me. You know what I'm saying? Like we're both assessing each other. There's no, like you should show up as your most authentic self. Mm -hmm. And if that person doesn't like you for it, then like, cool, leave. Like there are many other people who will, but you just spent like an hour or two getting drinks with someone and that's it. I love that. There's a lot of hope in the way that you define it. Like there are things that you take from it and you learn and you should always show up as your most authentic self because it is true. Everyone assessing everyone out, you know, the first time around when they meet each other and you're, you're, there's an intention behind it to get to know someone. And if it doesn't, who even knows? What if it leads to a great friendship or something? But I loved what you said that, you know, you even learned something about yourself. Would you mind sharing maybe one of or two of the top things you've learned about yourself in the dating sphere? Yeah. Well, I mean, like, <laughs> this sounds very self-centered, but like, sometimes I need to like remind myself that like that the date that I have gone on, like I need to remember if it's good because I spent the entire time talking or like we were actually having a good conversation mm-hmm. because I feel like there are times like I'm somebody who can talk to anyone, right? Like that's my skill. That's why I have a podcast. Like, mm-hmm. so I can sit down and have a good date with anyone if they like know how to have a conversation to some degree, you know? So I mean, I've learned that about myself that I'm like very good at carrying a date and conversation, Mm -hmm. but sometimes that's a downfall. It's like, okay, but did I actually have a good date or did I just carry the conversation? You know? So like, that's one thing maybe I've learned about dating. Like one, make sure the conversation is two-sided. Yeah. And two, like, just because you had a good conversation doesn't necessarily mean it was a good date. And also, I mean, going off of that is like, even if you had a bad first date, mm-hmm. that means you could still potentially have a good second date. Like always go on a second date unless there's like truly a really gra- glaring red flag and you have the opportunity to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, those are two things I've kind of learned as dating. I mean, there's a lot of other things I've learned, but I'm like, yeah, I'm also like personally about myself beyond just like being very talkative mm-hmm. um it's like I don't know the way that I communicate and the way that I date is like pretty I like to think like pretty straightforward um I'm not afraid to tell people like because I this is what I'm preaching right is communication yeah. so like I'm not afraid to tell somebody if I don't feel a connection like if I've gone on two dates with them and I'm kind of just like you know what this isn't really doing it for me not going to ghost them. I'm like going to tell them that, you know, Hey, like if I, if I respect them, I'm going to be like, Hey, like, you know, this isn't the connection I'm looking for. And like, I really hope the best for you. Oh, that's really nice. And that, I think that is a mature way to go about it, which is 
you know, communicate in a world where, you know, we might just say things. It's just like communicating is just so important when you are in these relationships, whether you're having like sex for the first time, right. And you don't have these sex conversations, maybe with your parents or your friends don't really talk about sex because maybe you're all in the same boat. Nobody's had it yet. Right. (laughs) Or nobody's at that place where they even know what they like. How do you navigate that space? Right. Because being sexual, being in an environment where you're not wearing your clothes, there's so many relationships, right? It's your relationship with communication. It's your relationship with your body. It's not just one thing, right? It's no. a lot of things playing its role in the bedroom. What are your thoughts on that? Absolutely. I mean, you know, when it comes to like sex and relationships, like being a confident person mm-hmm. and being like very affirming in what you want and what you need mm-hmm. is can be an intimidating thing to other people. Um, Absolutely. And it's hard to be that person, even sometimes when you're not completely sure of yourself. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like I like I've definitely struggled like with my relationship with my body my entire life. Yeah. I've always been like a bigger kid always when I was a, like f- from the time I was little to now it's like I was never skinny. Mm-hmm. Um, and so and that was always like the that was always like the standard of beauty and it it kind of, it still continues to be. I think there's a lot going on with like body positivity and like more representation and like clothing extending its sizes and things like that. Like we're definitely trending upwards, but it it's hard to like be, you, you can be the hottest person in the room, have the best body work out all the time and you can still be self-conscious. And it's just like, it's a mental relationship. Like you have to understand and you have to be comfortable with yourself before anybody is going to be comfortable with you. Wow. And that's powerful. Have you noticed that being like a theme where it's like, if you, if you're not okay with you, it shows. What are your thoughts on that? Right? Like, what does it mean when you're not comfortable with yourself and it shows to other people? Yeah. I mean, you know, there was one time I had a, like, I was with a guy and we were hooking up mm-hmm. and he said to me, he was like, you're so confident. Like other girls I have been with yeah. are not as confident as you are. And I definitely took that as like a weird backhanded compliment. Mm-hmm. But to me, I was like, red flag. Uh, uh. <laughs> and mm-hmm. And I said to him, I was like, is there any reason I shouldn't be? Mm. And he was like, no, no, not at all. I'm just like, I think it's great. I think other people like that I've been with just haven't been as confident as you've been. Because in a weird way, it was like he was othering me. He was like pulling out one of like when I'm not thinking if when I'm not like in my head about my body and my things like that, I'm just enjoying like a situation I'm in with a guy, like that's a good sign. And for him to like bring it up, like if you're going to bring up my body and the way that I look, then now I'm in my head, you know? Yeah. Yeah. When I wasn't out of the moment. Yeah, absolutely. But it really was, I was, I really was like, what, is there any reason I shouldn't be confident? Mm -hmm. And no, there's no reason you shouldn't be Mm -hmm. just because somebody like else is kind of dictating what like 
you should or shouldn't be like. It's just yeah. like, so I'm, I'm sure he made that comment because he had picked up mm-hmm. on other women who yeah. were uncomfortable mm-hmm. and he could probably feel it. And people do pick up when you are not, mm-hmm. when you're not like fully confident in yourself. And yeah. if <laughs> I think if a guy is like, you know, attracted to the fact that you might not be confident. <laughs> it's a huge red flag, but I don't think anyone would ever really admit that. Like mm-hmm. no one would ever be like, oh, you're like so self-conscious. Like that's how, yeah. like that's never going to happen. So yeah. Um, and this is what I say to people also all the time who are single. I'm like, you need to be comfortable being single and you need to be comfortable being alone. Mm-hmm. And once you're comfortable in the person that you are, when you are alone, like yeah. you can sit by yourself with your thoughts and you can be okay for a long period of time. You're self-sustaining. You have friendships and things going on in your life yeah. outside of like another person. Mm-hmm. Then that is probably, and you find a partner who also is like that, who has a lot going for them. Like, I think that is the best time to like, you know, be in a partnership in a relationship. You're not creating an identity based off of somebody else. You're not like tying yourself infinitely into the things that they're doing. Like if you are fine alone, you'll be even better together. And then if you end up alone again, you know, you'll be fine. Mm -hmm. I hear you on that one. And I did have like one other comment in terms of what you were saying, which was, you know, just because you're confident doesn't mean there aren't things all of us have to work on. So it's not kind of like, I'm confident, I'm confident, I'm perfect. There's nothing wrong with me. There's nothing to improve. That's kind of not, I think when we talk about confidence, it's kind of like everyone has an awareness of things they can improve on or things they would like to change, whether it's, you know, I want to learn how to play tennis and uh, it's a passion of mine to get like physically more into running or I want to improve on my mental health. And like, it's one place where I feel like I'm lacking, but that doesn't mean that it contributes to a defeating sense of self I feel like when we talk about confidence it's not like overarching uh, overarching um toxic positivity and perfection yeah that's not absolutely not I mean there there obviously is a thin line between being very self-confident and having a big ego yeah and like their confidence does not come with like you know putting other people down. It doesn't come with thinking that you're better than other people. It comes with, I truly think being just comfortable with yourself. Mm -hmm. Uh, But you, you as a person, like we're consistently and we are constantly learning and we're constantly growing Mm -hmm. and we're constantly changing as individuals. So you have to keep working to be comfortable with that person because you as a person are always changing. Yeah, absolutely. A hundred percent agreed with that. I don't know if a lot of people who don't follow you maybe on Instagram and just hear the podcast know that you're not just a podcast. You actually do events in New York City where you have meetups with Drinks First. Like, no, like the thing is, is the whole idea of Drinks First is to connect people in kind of like a new and different way. Mm -hmm. And the community that I've been able to build is really cool because people in the community want to meet people in like a cool and different way. So they're more open-minded. Um, and it's very diverse. Like it's a very diverse set of people. I have people who are different sexualities, different races, different ages, like everything, which is awesome. I think it's been really amazing seeing the community like come together in person and see the kinds of people I've 
you know, touched and, and people who have been excited about the content that I put out. Mm-hmm. Um, the events kind of, I threw, I got thrown into them, uh, randomly and it was just so successful that I was like, I have to keep doing it. And I can see that there's a real need for it. Like when I make my TikToks about my events, they blow up because people want that. Mm-hmm. Um, they want a, a space to connect that it's like, you're going to meet cool people. You're gonna meet cool single people. Mm-hmm in at a drinks first party Mm -hmm. absolutely and I think when I look at pictures of your events they look so fun it just looks like an awesome party I was about to call it a rager and I was like "Mm." a little bit of both (laughs) also since your podcast is called drinks first and your business is drinks first at this point because it's not just a podcast anymore it's grown what's your favorite drink I'm just so curious well if I'm drinking if I'm drinking like while I'm going out, I like to keep it really clean. Like I'm a vodka drinker. So I just drink vodka soda with lime. And if they have it mint, Ooh. um, that's like my go-to if I'm just like going out. Yeah. Um, I love a cocktail. So like mostly vodka based cocktails, love a good espresso martini. <sighs> nice. Ariana, thank you so much for taking the time out to be on this podcast. It was so much fun and it was amazing getting to hear your story and getting to know you outside of drinks first. It has been such a privilege. I would love for you to plug all your socials where people can find you. And if they want to be on your podcast as an anonymous guest data person, and if they're in New York City or any of your events, plug it and let me know. Absolutely. Thank you for having me on. Like it's truly, you're, you're a great conversationalist. So I'm sorry. I like rambled for so many hours, but literally did I was going to ask you like five more questions. I had to restrain myself. It's a problem. It's a well, if you like are not already tired of hearing me talk, um, you can find me on TikTok and Instagram at ariana.nathani. Mm-hmm. You can find uh, drinks first on all streaming platforms. So Spotify, Apple, anywhere you listen to podcasts, the events and all the information about matching with a guest or being, uh, being a guest or coming to our events. Um, it's posted on my personal TikTok and on the drinks first Instagram, which is drinks.first on Instagram. There's a link in the bio that will direct you to, you know, all of the information about everything else. Uh, And yeah, I would love to see everybody like at the events. If you have come from the podcast, from this podcast and interest in mine, definitely DM me. And I thank you so much for like giving me this platform. Not at all. And all of your information is going to be linked on the episode description below. So it makes it easier for everyone to find you again. Thank you so much, Ariana. I will hopefully have you on this podcast one other time with your parents. (laughs) I'm just kidding. They're Indian. You know, they would never like, come on. And talk oh I'm making a trip out to New York city. I'm going to make it a mission to find your parents. I'm like, I need your love story. I just need it. I need it, it is a good story. It's a good story. It sounds fabulous. But again, thank you so much. Yeah, for sure. Thank you so much for tuning in for another episode of What's the Chai? Again, with your host, Summer Haru, marital and family therapist. Remember to check out our socials as well. On Instagram, we are What's the Chai Official. If you heard this podcast on Spotify, make sure to like and follow or anywhere else, whether it's Apple iTunes or Google Podcasts as well. Your support is so appreciated. Um, and here's to seeing you guys next week or every two weeks for the next episode. Stay tuned and yeah, have a good one, guys. Nice.
Bye.